This season of On the Contrary is supported by Edelgive Foundation, an organization that works to support the growth of small to mid-sized nonprofits working at the grassroots in India. Edelgive's mission is to transform communities by enabling leaders, organizations, and the ecosystem of philanthropy as a whole. Over the last decade, the institution has invested billions of rupees in the Indian development sector and has been leading collaborative action towards building an independent, resilient civil society. The problem arises when we think technology is the magic wand that solves all the problems. And the difficulty is that our institutions and social systems are not looking at exclusion in the excitement of technology and what it does. It is not people who are misutilizing technology. It is the system which is misutilizing technology or exploiting technology or underutilizing technology by intention. Technology is as good as how you use it. Technology is as good as how you make policy. Technology is as good as how do you want to serve your community or, or citizen. Hi, I'm Rachita Vora, and you're listening to On the Contrary by India Development Review, or IDR, a show featuring unlikely conversations on topics that affect our future. On this podcast, hear differing perspectives from leaders and experts as they help us make sense of the most pressing issues of our time. Your host for the show is Arun Myra, a thought leader who has the unusual combination of having worked in the private sector, the social sector, as well as the government, where he was a member of India's Planning Commission. Here's your host, Arun Myra. Today, the solution to all complex problems seems to be digital. One can develop a new online portal, platform or app and give everyone a smartphone to connect to the digital world through the internet. Technology truly has become the panacea in business, policy and even social change circles for almost all problems. But when the pandemic hit, the limited spread of India's digital ecosystem highlighted major inequalities in access to digital infrastructure and in digital literacy. The 2020 Remote Learning Reachability Report issued by UNICEF showed that only 24% of Indian households had internet connections to access e-education. As in-person schooling shut down across the country, a number of children were unable to continue their education because they didn't have access to a laptop, mobile phone or the internet. The digital-centric vaccine rollout plan too continues to be a barrier for millions. The centralized system of booking vaccination slots online assumes universal access to the internet, smartphones, Aadhaar, OTP, English and digital literacy. So today we are going to try to cover the wide canvas of digital technology, whether it is democratizing or dividing, and the visible gaps in its application in India and the role the government ought to play. Our first guest for today is Kiran Karnik, who's recognized for building Brand India in the international tech circles as former president of NASCOM. He has also been the managing director and CEO of Discovery Networks in India, in addition to having worked for over 20 years at the Indian Space Research Organization, that's ISRO. He is presently a member of the Scientific Advisory Council to the Prime Minister, an honorary chairman of the National Foundation of India and president of the India Habitat Centre. Our second guest, Osama Manzer, wears many hats. 
He is an entrepreneur, an author, a columnist, an angel investor, and a great mentor. He is the co-founder of Digital Empowerment Foundation, an organization that aims to eradicate poverty from India and the global south using digital tools. He also sits on several government and policy committees in India and outside, working in the areas of internet access and digital inclusion. Welcome to the show, Kiran and Osama. I'm excited to have you both on the show. You both have come from different vantage points in the digital and tech ecosystem in India, and we've got lots of ground to cover. So my first question is to you, Kiran. What makes digital technology one of the most powerful assets of our times? Thank you, Arun. Your introduction covered the canvas exceedingly well, and thank you for your kind words too. To me, it seems that the benefits of new digital technologies are very obvious and well-known, and it seems to me we don't need more than just a few minutes to cover those because all of us who have access to devices have actually experienced this very, very powerfully, especially during the days of the strong lockdown, when this became our only means to almost everything, to access groceries, food, social contact, education, most importantly, work. It kept the views of the economy going at a time when the lockdown could have just shut everything down. So we have experienced them. Those who did not have that had their own issues, and we'll come to those in a moment. But I do want to say that, you know, the benefits from what the digital technology did, did indirectly reach them. But as in all indirect things, it had its own problems, the so-called trickle-down and its own discrepancies and dis inequities. But that's later. Uh, to me, the powerful thing about digital technology and the last year and a half was how it's enabled all those who have access to devices, whether it's a street vendor or a business or a very big business, to derive benefits from what technology is able to do and what it's being able to deliver. And to me, the positive side of it is fairly widespread, well-known and clear. The problems worry me, but more on that in a moment. Thank you for putting that so well, Kiran. Osama, you've worked in the remotest parts of our country. So you've seen the promise of the internet and digital technologies play out on the ground. Could you talk about how digital technology has been enabling people, even in the remotest parts of India? This is an interesting question because we are talking about how technology is enabling people in a positive way. And I would say that let's talk about digital technology in the last three decades. I don't think any technological innovation has affected our lives in such a fast pace of time. In 30 years, we have reached half the world connected. And just by having half the world connected, one of the biggest promise that this technology has made and created is equal ability to access itself and equal ability to access to information, access to necessity, access to opportunity, access to rights, and so on and so forth. That, I would say, in general, is very, very important. Even if you go to the grassroots level, if you talk about what technology has made, it has actually created a huge overcoming of the barrier of literacy itself. But this technology, being audiovisual technology, being a multimedia technology, and overcoming a linguistic barrier or overcoming a kind of literacy barrier has actually enabled the most underprivileged people almost to the equal level. 
That's the big, big advantage. But having said that, I will always say that the power of real technology is not by its inclusion, but by the exclusion that it leaves behind. That's a question to the system and that's a question to the enabling uh, policies and that's a question to the enabling technology. Osama, could you share with our listeners what you mean when you talk about the systemic exclusion caused by widespread use of technology? And what are some of the disadvantages that people with limited access to technology might be facing? Yeah, I'm glad that you asked that question because we are facing that day in and day out. And uh, I would like to narrate that with some anecdote. But as I said earlier, the real efficiency and efficacy of technology is not the number that it includes, but the number it excludes. And I was in Chirala, which is the eastern coast in uh, Andhra Pradesh, and I was standing in one of the digital centers there, which we run. And there was this serpentine queue of women and men having 50 rupees in their hand and Aadhaar card in their hand and feature phone in their hand, all queuing up. And I went them to ask, why are you queuing up? They said that we are here to give this 50 rupees to this service center for updating our Aadhaar card. Now, imagine there is a role of technology, there is a role of inclusion that though so many people are under UID, they have their identity that is linked to the benefits, that is linked to the banking, that is linked to so many things. Having said that, they are excluded if the Aadhaar is not matched. They are excluded if their data is not updated. They are excluded from food, from ration, from pension, everything and from banking if by any chance the connectivity doesn't work. And by the way, this entire dependency on this technology, they are paying for any discrepancy into it. You know, so are we thinking of the exclusion that is taking place? Or are we thinking of the inclusion for the government that in a system that it has created a chance to serve so many people on a click of a button? But that click of a button also is excluding millions of people. And in COVID time, 280 million children got into home without going to schools. Do we have 280 million devices in the hands of those children to uh, access online education? According to the data, 30% of the schools are supposed to have computers. And they are non-functional at the time of COVID. We don't have a system in place to consider how technology can create efficiency, even with the brick and mortar access. So what I am actually trying to say is that when you create digital system to be included in the life of the people for creating efficiency, we design it that how many people every day get additionally connected. But we don't think how many people are suffering because of being disconnected or unconnected. But when we don't have an alternative, then it's a matter of concern for being a citizen and not being a consumer. Thank you, Osama, for painting the picture so vividly. I think people tend to overlook the inequity that accompanies technology as it becomes an integral part of their daily lives. I remember when Aadhaar was rolled out and there was an old woman whose fingerprints didn't match the ones on the biometric. It was ruled out as an isolated case. But over the years, there have been numerous reports of the biometric technology excluding senior citizens, marginalized communities, and people with disability across the country. Kiran, do you think we need to create deeper dialogues? 
conversations that not only celebrate new innovations, but at the same time are cognizant of the impact that the rapid rollout of technologies has been having on the lives of people who may not have access to it. As you said, Arun, it's uh, the inequities that are created through access, affordability, availability, ability, ability to use it. And that's only A. I can go on on the A's and then get to B series and go on to the end of the alphabet with the kind of problems that we are seeing. But two points around what you just said and what Osama so well laid out. One is, you know, I do want to acknowledge on the positive side, no other technology has penetrated as fast as this has. And I think there is something to be said there for what is done. Second, I do want to say that, you know, things like Aadhaar and bank accounts with direct transfers have been very useful. The problem arises when we think technology is the magic wand that solves all the problems. And the difficulty is that our institutions and social systems are not looking at exclusion in the excitement of technology and what it does. So, you know, as you said, 280 million school children, but it's not just big numbers. Even if it's a small number, a society that cares for small numbers, a minority number, a minority of any kind in any sphere, is a society that really cares. So it doesn't matter how small that number is, we should worry about those who are excluded. And I think this is the critical part which in our excitement about new technologies, we seem to have forgotten. So if there's this long-time farmhand, or as you said, Arun, an old woman whose fingerprints are not discernible because they're worn off completely, then you can't exclude such a person. You've got to worry about all such people. And they may number in just a few million, 1% or less of our population. Doesn't matter. You've got to worry about them. And your systems must take care of them. So if you have a system that excludes everybody who doesn't have an Aadhaar, that's a terrible system. But if you say those who have an Aadhaar, great. Those who don't, I have a parallel stream for them, which they can get through. That would sort of make sense rather than complete dependence on technology. That's one part of it. The other one is, you know, and this... I say with some hesitation uh, because I was one of those enthusiasts who thought that digital technologies and the internet will take care of everything to make information you know, democratic. Everybody can access everything. We can all talk to each other. There'll be horizontal communication amongst the people. That hasn't quite happened. We've divided ourselves into echo chambers. We hear those who think like us and the othering of all the others gets so strong that we believe whatever is said. I think these concerns about where inequity is being created and divisions are being created are very serious concerns. There are many such problems which we need to worry about and need to take care of, not all of which can be taken care of by technology, but need a, a rejigging of the structures, the systems, the institutions. You might say the sociology of what we do, not the technology of what we do. We need to worry about the sociology of what we do and not the technology. That's such an interesting point, Kiran. And we'll come to that in just a bit. But first, Osama, you mentioned how technology in the past 30 years has advanced and continues to advance faster than ever. And while access continues to be a problem because of various socio-economic reasons, technology is still everywhere and expanding whether that's in the forms of phones, television sets, or the internet. There is also a huge push for Digital India by our government, with emphasis being laid on digitizing government services and payments, amongst other things. So access to technology is becoming a necessity rather than a want. 
Osama, are there some unique local solutions you've encountered that communities have used to overcome their lack of access? That's very interesting because when you say that uh, how the local communities use technology for their benefit, I would say there is a less to do with technology, more to do with approach and more to do with contextualization. For example, we all know that there are many, 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 many areas in the country to the count about 50,000 such villages which has no connectivity, they are in dark zone. And yet we know that in the last 10 years, the access and connectivity has increased. How it has increased? Do we know that we also have unlicensed spectrum in the country available which we can use for wireless connecting? We have tried that one. Do we know that the technology or managing Wi-Fi connectivity and access doesn't require BTEC and MTEC and uh, MCA? There are barefoot engineers who are managing technology. They are climbing towers and connecting Wi-Fi from one location to the other. Do we know that the tower can be of bamboo also? Do we know that a, a small salvaged Metal pipe can become your tower on the head of your building and that can connect to somebody 10 kilometers away. These are possibilities that people have done. And these are yet the things that people are using. I am saying that people are just climbing tree and getting connected. People are using Bluetooth to connect with each other and talk to each other, create a local network. People are using community radio and talking Wi-Fi and mixing both for increasing the reaches. So all those are possibilities. But out of all this, I must say one of the most efficient impact of technology that has impacted the poorest of the poor is access to finance. There is no other functionality. I mean, of course, I'm not categorizing entertainment because, of course, music and movies and uh, videos are the most popular. But I'm saying something which is directly related to use of your daily life. And this is where... The technology has helped without being technology. But where technology makes you suffer, it is not the technology that makes you suffer. It is the system that makes you suffer. It is the intention that makes you suffer. It is the unintentional uh, flaw in the system that makes you suffer. Internet is very feminine and internet is very inclusive and terribly democratic. But it is run by the male. That is the reason why the design is very patriarchal. To make the internet smooth, inclusive, democratic, unfilthy, non-dirty, uh, it is important that it get into the subject of policy making and its utilization and the governance in the hands of the women, if not 100%, but at least 50% at all level. You will automatically see the internet behaving itself. At this point, we'll take a small break and we'll hear more from our guests on the other side. Every day, in a small village nestled in a hilly corner of the northern state of Uttarakhand, a group of women sit together and sing songs of courage, ambition and resistance. They are members of Gauli Mahila Sangathan, a village collective set up by the women of Gauli. They follow this ritual before every daily meeting. Since 1995, they have successfully led a resistance movement against alcoholism in their area. Ananta Jain, a student of English literature, met them as a part of a rural research program at St. Stephen's College in Delhi. She wrote about her experience on Ground Up, a feature section on IDR. 
ground up features anecdotal multimedia stories that provide a window into how things operate close to the grassroots within communities amidst frontline workers and even inside government offices their stories told by the people closest to the action if you'd like to read more stories like this check out ground up on idronline.org you can also reach us with stories of your own at groundup@idronline.org and now back to the show what i'm getting from both of you is that technology by itself is not to blame there are systemic flaws that are actually creating this inequality when it comes to people's access to technology for instance the development of vaccines at the rate that we witnessed over the past few months has been remarkable these are breakthrough innovations but again the vaccine rollout has been creating great inequalities within countries and between countries so it really comes down to how the entire system is designed and for whom according to you osama has the response of governance systems to this rise of technological solutions been sufficient what do governments need to do to ensure that tech adoption and benefits trickle down to the more marginalized populations as well there are some good examples there are some bad examples you know as far as governance of internet or governance of technology is concerned i think we have all either corporate or the government have stopped thinking people as citizens but they are thinking people as consumers they are either consumers as a voter or consumers as user of technology and that's the reason why you see a normal human being is not being treated more than a bot you know so much so that you use bot more than the even humans to target your misinformation or information but if you go deeper how government has created an online system of let's say creating aadhar and linking for efficiency for the people having said that you we need to look at are you governing too much that the excluded people are not getting food not getting pension not getting their daily bread is the question that we need to ask we have 280 million children suddenly not online and disconnected from school and the education system and we still have the technology available in our hand to connect people distantly why are we not using it that's the question that we need to ask isn't that the approach that we should to have where we minimize the cost of the hardware minimize the cost of uh, connectivity or create uh, human rights approach to the connectivity as a basic infrastructure to the students i mean why didn't we announce interest free loaning to access a device for every student in the country to buy cheap mobile phones to access education so i can go on and on even in health we say that health centers are not working but your health center is as easy to be functional by just video conferencing based connectivity to the doctor and to the people and we have proven that and arun you have seen in our centers that how doctors have talked to the people so there is an approach to technology that's very very important and i must say there is not a single bad example of technological impact from the people coming in every bad example negative example is by how the big systems are using the technology for whether it's about trapping the election by creating narratives online or by flowing misinformation as a content produced at an industrial level and floating it on whatsapp or 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 many other platform or for that matter creating 
rumors through using technological communication system. You will see all of them are top down and not bottom up. It is not people who are misutilizing technology. It is the system which is misutilizing technology or exploiting technology or underutilizing technology by intention. And that is the reason why the technology is as good as how you use it. Technology is as good as how you make policy. Technology is as good as how do you want to serve your community or, or citizen. People need to be treated as citizens first and consumers second. So the government's primary objective when it comes to using technology must be to create more equity for its citizens. Kiran, like Osama mentioned, do you also think the line between citizens and consumers is getting blurred? Yeah, Arun, absolutely. And, and the reason to me seems to be that somewhere in the course of the last few decades, we've become focused on metrics that are completely different. Today, the metric which the government uses and everybody discusses is GDP growth. What's the economy going to grow next year? Uh, some of them add their convenience point to the markets booming and the Sensex as confidence in India. Others point to the amount of foreign investment coming into India and say, look, we become attractive. But I think they forget that the metric for a country like India, indeed for all countries, needs to be completely different. And it must include things like equity, very obviously. And then, of course, more detailed metrics in areas of health and education, whether it's infant mortality or maternal mortality or number of years of schooling or quality of schooling and so on. So I think, as you said earlier, Arun, it boils down to what is the role the government should be playing. There are three or four specific things which I would like to put my fingers on as, as suggestions that might be something we might dwell on, think about, leave for the future. One is technology policy. Technology policy must do with how we use technology. To what purpose, to what goal, in what ways, and how do we use it to empower people and to make sure that the correctives are applied on things like a disequitous society. The second must be to create public platforms which are accessible to everybody and which have facilitated things like what Osama mentioned earlier, which is easy payments, even easy credit for those who want it because there's data there, it can be analyzed. And that's a positive. It comes from platforms that have been created, which are not private platforms, which can be used and which are open source. Traditional roles of government on which you can write volumes, Arun, is really in terms of policy that takes care of market failures. And there is clearly a lack of competitiveness here. There's a market failure of not serving the poor. There's a market failure of devices which are unaffordable for children when you say there are online classes and we've got to see what are the correctives. And some correctives may have to do with non-technological things. And the last is ensuring competitiveness and competition. Both, one is competitiveness in terms of price and delivery and reaching out to everybody. That's part of competitiveness. How do you make sure it reaches out completely? And second is competition. And competition not just for, you know, better service, but competition on who can reach the last persons. So your viability gap funding, for example, in a number of projects, why not a viability gap funding to the private sector to see, okay, we have a competition to see how you can reach out to that last person, that remotest village. So what I'm taking back from our discussion today is that digital technology isn't a magical fix to all problems. Societal inequality and inequity still exist. As we've seen during the pandemic, Technology has in some ways reinforced and perhaps even increased these inequalities. The purpose of the use of technology must be very clear. 
Who is going to benefit from it? Does it benefit the least empowered people in the world today? And the ethical dilemma that then arises is whether technological innovations should be lauded just for their brilliance or measured in terms of the number of people who actually benefit. Thank you both for your very lucid exposition of the advantages and disadvantages of a technology-first world, and also for sharing some good ideas about where the solutions for governance should lie when it comes to the wider applications of digital technology. Thank you. On the Contrary is produced by Shreya Adhikari, Smanita Shetty, and me, Rachita Vora. This episode was hosted by Arun Myra for IDR. Production by Made in India. IDR is an online journal that publishes cutting-edge ideas, lessons, and insights written by and for the people working on some of India's toughest problems. You can check us out at idronline.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. If you like our show, please do subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can find out about us. You can also email us on write to us at idronline.org. Thank you for listening and see you next week.